0: Good to see you today. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, we are starting today a four-part series on suffering. And we are not ridiculous enough to think that somehow we're going to solve the issue of suffering on four Sundays. So we know that right up front. But we just want to talk about uh, some issues around suffering and then what we can do about it. So we're so glad that you are here today. This issue of suffering is in a very emotional and very painful In a very personal issue. I have been reading uh, this book. A reason or the reason for God. By Tim Keller. He's a pastor of a church in New York City. He has one chapter in here about suffering. And he quotes somebody in his church. Somebody who had come to his church. And this is this person's viewpoint about suffering. This is what he says about suffering. He says this isn't a philosophical issue to me. This is personal. I won't. Believe in a God who allows suffering. If he, she, or it exists, maybe God exists, maybe not. But if he does, he can't be trusted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could gather together today and discuss this very difficult and painful topic of suffering. There are those of us here in this room who will uh, talk about it today from and think about it today from kind of a distance. You know, maybe right now we're not experiencing great tragedy or we have not personally experienced great tragedy, but there will be those of us in this room who at this moment are going through a, uh, just a deep, deep time. So it's going to hit all of us a little bit different. Uh, Lord, help us through no matter where we are, help us through. In Jesus' name, amen. There is an outline on the back of that blue bulletin that you were given if you'd like to follow along. I did not include every single thing in the midst of that, but you'll see a number of things that are there that I will talk about today. First of all, let's just say this right up front. There are some positives when it comes to suffering. I mean, there, there are a few positive things that we can take away From the suffering that we experience in life first of all you think about when there is some kind of catastrophe or there's some kind of disaster or there's just widespread suffering that breaks out think about the tremendous things that come out of people the tremendous goodness wonderful things that come out of people Haiti recently look I mean look at all the articles and all the inspiring stories that many of you either seen on TV or read about in the paper or a magazine about people who just dropped everything And went down and served out of the goodness of their heart and gave, gave, gave down in Haiti. And you read these things, and man, it just builds you up. You think about, you know, what took place after Katrina hit. Um, Our little church right here, we had a number of people in different waves go down to Biloxi, Mississippi, give up their time, give up their vacation time, give up their money, and go down there and do some really dirty work. I was on one of those crews. It was very dirty work. So in the midst of suffering, you can see some really great things come out of out of people. September 11th, all the horror, all the tragedy from September 11th, and all the stories that you read of people's goodness. As people ran out of those buildings, scared to death, you read about what other people running into those buildings to rescue them. And we were inspired by that. So it is clear that there is a lot of good that actually comes out of suffering. Here's what the Bible says about it. It says a number of things, but let me give you one passage. James chapter 1, 2 to 4. It's on the screen or it's on the back of your bulletin. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything not lacking anything so suffering can mature us it can grow us it can grow our faith we can grow up in spiritual maturity we can grow as people so there's wonderful benefits from suffering c.s lewis wrote this about suffering he said god uses it to get our attention boy that's the case because we definitely we definitely have our focus when there's suffering at hand so suffering does has have its advantages Jonathan, could you just bring that board over here for me? Here's one issue, though, that I really want to talk about today, now that we've got that out of the way, that suffering does have its advantages. Let's talk about this. Here seems to be uh, just a huge issue when it comes to suffering, all right? These three things, because the Bible over and over affirms the fact that God is all good. He's a good guy, that God is all-powerful. But then you have suffering and evil that exists. And so the problem that many people have that always seems to rise to the top and all the reading I do about suffering is how in the world could these three things be compatible? How can you have a world where God is all good, all powerful and suffering and evil exist? They don't make sense. They don't jive with each other. Let me uh, read you a couple quotes that I have uh, read about it. I put a couple of them actually on your outline. Here's one, David Hume. And he's actually echoing somebody who wrote this many years before. Is God willing to prevent evil? evil, but not able? Then he is impotent. Is he able, but not willing? Then he is malevolent. Is he both able and willing? Whence then is evil? Writing after, a reporter writing after the disaster in Haiti wrote these words. And you hear this almost after every disaster. But as for those who believe in an all-good, all-powerful agent God, we've seen that they face a question that remains pressing after all these centuries and which is now horribly underscored by the horrors in Haiti. If a deity exists, why didn't he prevent this? This was written after the tsunami in 2004 that killed 250,000 people in the Indian Ocean. A reporter writing, says this quote where was God if God is God he's not good if God is good he's not God you can't have it both ways especially after the Indian Ocean catastrophe Jewish scholar David Silverman reflecting on the Holocaust wrote this if God is to be intelligible In some manner, then his goodness must be compatible with the existence of evil. And this is only if he is not all powerful. So you see, the crux of the matter is this right here. How can you have an all good God, all powerful God, with the existence of suffering and evil? And what Silverman has just said is okay. Maybe God is all good. We'll take that from the scriptures that God is all good. But there's no way that he could be all powerful. You have to eliminate the all powerfulness of God because the Holocaust could not have happened with all the suffering, all the tragedy and all the pain and all the evil that went on there. If God is all good and he was all powerful, surely he would have used his power because of his goodness to stop suffering evil. So how do the three jive? The only way he says that you can make it all jive together is you've got to say that God is not all-powerful he might be all good but he's not all-powerful here's the problem the problem is the bible repeatedly affirms god's goodness and the fact that he is both all-powerful right along with the existence of evil so how can an all-good all-powerful god allow suffering to exist here i have a fill in the blank for you if you'd like to fill in the blanks on the back and this the first one is this because because god is love the reason you can have an all-good, all-powerful God, right along with suffering and evil, is because God is love. That's what the Bible tells us, 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. What is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 gives us a dif- dictionary definition of love. It has the 15 decisions that love makes. Every single one of them is a decision that we make. Love is about a decision. It's about the freedom to choose. That's what love is. So God, God is love, creates a world with what? Freedom to choose. Freedom to choose. There must be freedom to choose. This is the way that God created. He had to create a free world. It's impossible to have love without the freedom to choose. Now, most of the suffering that exists on this planet, everybody, and almost everybody is going to agree to this, almost all the suffering that we have on the planet is the result of human decisions, crime, the Holocaust. Many of our health problems are the result of human decisions. Think about all the tragedies that go on. Think about the fact how people are born into this world with diseases. A lot of it had to do with decisions that people made before. Some of those were very greedy decisions. To do certain things with our food or our animals, that didn't have an effect later on on kids. Take a child that grows up, later gets lung cancer. So in some cases, not all cases, maybe they lived in a home where there were chain smokers and they breathed smoke all the time. Many of it is decisions that we simply make. If I get drunk and I go out and get in my car and I drive down the road and I hit a father of four and he, I kill him, it was a decision that I make. So many of many of the things of suffering and tragedy that go on in this world is a result of human decisions that we make. And if we would make better decisions, there'd be less suffering. But that doesn't fully solve the problem, does it? Because there's more. And here's the next one, and this is a difficult one. Because God is not in control of our world. God is not in control of our world. Now, this is something very interesting. I have always lived uh, with the understanding that God was in control of everything. God was in control of this planet. Matter of fact, my first knee-jerk reaction that I have every single time somebody tells me that they're experiencing some kind of tragedy or suffering and pain in their life what's the first thing that I just i don't even think it's just like like that little bell you know that the psychologist whatever told him we ring the bell you start salivating same thing would happen to me with this If somebody because you know i'm hurting pain i would say oh god's in control before i knew it there it was it already came out god's in control is that the case is that true is god in control you know what happened to me this past week you know One of the frustrating things about being a pastor and preaching on topics like this is for some reason God sees fit that a lot of times, not every time, thank goodness not every time, but a lot of times when I preach on certain topics like this, God says, you know what, I'm going to allow you to personally experience a little bit of whatever, whatever, whatever topic that you're preaching about, and it makes it really difficult. So this past week, all of a sudden, my car starts acting up like when I'm driving it and, and it's, tri- it's an automatic, but when it like makes that automatic shift into like third gear, it wouldn't just smoothly do it. It was like this huge jolt. And so I figured something's wrong. I'm not a mechanic, but something's wrong. So I take it to the garage around the corner from the office and uh, they call me up They said, you got a problem, why don't you come on by? We'll talk about it. I go by, they said, okay, you need a new transmission. It's gonna be $3,800. Yes, yes. Now that, that's, that's personal suffering. so you know what i did i immediately what was the first thing that came out of my mouth god is in control <laughs> not a new car right because many of us have taken this dave ramsey class around here so we don't we don't we wouldn't even dream of buying a new car all right anyway that's a whole other subject so god is in control god's in control what am i going to do i started praying god you're in control lord please help me so i take the car to the toyota dealership to get a second opinion Here's the car, act it up a little bit. Can you tell me, you know, what do you think is wrong? Surely they're going to come back and say, no, it's something simple. We're going to fix that thing right up for you. So the guy calls me. He says, look, here's the thing. Your computer, your computer in your car has gone bad, and so it needs to be replaced. And it's damaged your transmission, so that needs to be replaced. Price tag, $5,000. We've gone from $3,800 to $5,000 second payment. I'm praying, right? God's in control. So I go pick up the car. And he says, look, you be, be careful. You're driving it, you know, a whole lot because it's going to mess it up more. I said, man, it's already messed up. So I'm, I get in the car before I take off. What do I do? God's in control. Man, I laid hands on that car. Oh, Jesus, please heal this car, heal this car. So I take off and I'm driving home and I swear, this is exactly what I'm driving home. And it goes to shift into third gear. And normally it makes it boom, that jolt like that, which shifted no jolt, no jolt at all. Praise Jesus. You know, guys, guys, healed this car. And so I stop in the next light and I take off again. It goes into third gear. No jolt again. And I'm like, woo, this is this is awesome. God is in control. I get to another light, I take off, third gear, boom. God has lost control. I get home, I'm gonna have to take it to another deal. So I take it to a, a third opinion at another Toyota dealership. I drop the car off, guy calls me up a couple of hours, he says. Okay, sir, we, uh, we, we, we have an assessment on your car. It needs a new computer. It needs a new transmission. And by the way, it needs something else. $6,000. That's suffering, people. That's, that's very personal suffering right there. 6000 So first opinion is $3,800. 2nd opinion is $5,000. Now we're at third opinion. So the one thing I have learned in this whole process is I'm not getting another opinion. Right? right? I'm not going for the fourth because that will be $10,000. Where is God in control? Is God in control? And so I learned some things because growing up, I always thought that. And that really colored the way I looked at everything in the world when it came to suffering. God is in control. God is in control. L- let's let's look at this. Genesis one thirty one. So God creates the world, right? He says, then God looks over. After he creates everything, he looks over that he had made, and he saw that it was excellent in every way. All right, so it was perfect. There wasn't suffering And there wasn't pain. That's the way it was created. Now, God says to Adam and Eve, here they are and everything, it's paradise. He says, look, I want you to stay away from this tree, right? And the tree is called the knowledge of good and evil. What in the world does that represent, everybody? What does that represent, the knowledge of good and evil? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the fact that they go and they eat of this tree where God said, that tree represents the power of to decide what is right and what is wrong and then to act upon it so god says you should stay away from this tree so what did it mean that they went right to that made a beeline what does that mean it means that they're saying god we no longer want you to be the leader and the ruler over our lives we reject your leadership we rather do things our way ...which was, you know, schemed about by the devil... ...but it's rejection... ...basically the first sin is all about rejecting... ...the leadership of Jesus Christ... ...which is very, very important... ...then this curse is placed... ...now, here's the thing about the curse... ...sometimes we read that curse... ...oh, God's placing a curse upon Adam and Eve... ...and all humanity... ...he's placing a curse upon, you know, this world... ...that's... ...God wasn't doing that, everybody... ...God wasn't placing a curse... ...God was simply giving voice to the consequences of their rejecting him as the leader of this world. That's all he's doing. He's, he's explaining to them, here's what's going to happen now that you have rejected me as leader. And that is what that, that tree, was, that whole tree thing was all about. So many people have asked me along long way, okay, all right, so I got it that there's you know all this kind of stuff, but can, how in the world can you explain the earthquake in Haiti? How can you explain the tsunami in the, in the Indian Ocean? I mean, what's up with that? Well, there's a number of scriptures about that. You get in Genesis, it says right away, God explains to them, as a consequence to you rejecting me as the leader, what's going to happen? This earth, Mother Nature, is not going to function right anymore. It's not going to function as it was designed to function. Romans chapter 8 gives us great insight on that. Let's read it. Yet we suffer now, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we'll have later. All creation is waiting waiting eagerly for this future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Now notice this, everybody, verse 20. Against its will, whose will? Mother Nature's will. Against the creation's will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. What is that describing to us? It's describing to us a world that is suffering this rejection of Jesus Christ as God Almighty, as the leader of this world, and now we're suffering hurricanes, all kinds of natural disaster. This is what Romans chapter 8 is saying. So, Haiti, earthquake. Was that because of a pact with the devil? Not according to scriptures, right? I've been to Haiti. I've been in Port-au-Prince. I was there when I was eight years old, and I built a church. And I wonder if that church is still standing this day. So when you say, well, my goodness, these people made a pact with the devil, and that's why they're suffering. That's completely contrary to what the Bible teaches because people who are followers of God down there suffered right along with people who weren't followers of God. Does that make sense? They all suffered quite just the same. That's very shallow thinking. What the scriptures say to us is this world has been shaken, and now we suffer. Nature suffers because of the rejection of God as the leader of our lives. This is what's going on. Now, why is it that we immediately blame God every time they're suffering? Why does that happen? I'll tell you my opinion why I think it happens. Because when anything goes wrong in any kind of organization I'm involved with, who do I go to immediately? Who do I say is at fault for, right? Where does the buck stop? The person at the top, person at the top. That's who I go to. So if I'm working for a company and man, this company is doing something wrong or they're doing me wrong, whose office do I go knocking on? I go, I go to the top. I go as high as the high will let me get. And I say, it's your fault. You need to, you need to straighten this out. Now, if you all don't understand this, then um, you can come and talk to me, because anytime anything goes wrong here at church, <laughs> uh, I get emails and phone calls, right? Because it's my fault whether I knew about it or not. All right, so I understand this really well. It's a personal thing to me. Um, all right, but that's what we do. We blame the leader. We blame the leader. And so when the tsunami hits, we say, Where was God? There's no way God could be good and powerful. The two are totally incompatible, it doesn't make sense. Or the Holocaust. Terrible things, terrible things. And I don't mean to make light of this. This is deep stuff. Well, when the, when Haiti happens, an earthquake or September 11th, all this kind of stuff, where was God? It only makes sense. And so for all my life, I'm telling you, up until a few years ago, when I really started to study this in scriptures, I thought that God was in control of all of it. Good, bad, ugly. It was the will of God. He was making it happen. But this is not what we see in Scripture. So I want to share some Scriptures with you. Who is the leader of this planet? Now, this might sound strange. It's maybe not the best way to word it. But here's what I got here. If you want to fill in this blank. Satan is in temporary control of this planet. Satan is in temporary control of this planet. Just check out these Scriptures. First John 5:19. The world around us is under the power and control of the evil one. Nobody ever showed me that Scripture. So in my life, every time I experience suffering, I immediately blame God. How could you do this to me? How in the world could you do this to me? Why have you sabotaged my transmission? The world is under the power and control of the evil one. Jesus Christ said in John twelve thirty one, he said, Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus Christ said in John sixteen eleven that Satan is the prince of this world. Prince, charge of this world. The Apostle Paul writes, Second Corinthians 4, 4, the devil who rules this world. I miss this so much in my life. Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 4, he's tempted. He's tempted by the devil. Before he enters in the ministry, the devil takes him. Jesus has been out fasting in the desert for 40 days, fasting and praying 40 days and 40 nights. He's getting ready to come back and go into the ministry. And before he does, the devil comes along and him three temptations. One of the temptations is this. The devil says to him, you bow down and you worship me and I will give you this world. Now, how can that be a legitimate temptation? How in the world can that be a legitimate temptation if the devil doesn't have the world to give? Well, then the whole temptation of Jesus Christ is a farce. It's not a genuine temptation. So how, Jesus, can you say you were tempted in every way that I was tempted? It had to be genuine. The devil had had to have the world to give. In order for that to be legitimate, there's something somewhere wrong if he didn't have it to give. So it seems that he is in temporary control of this world. Now, there is nothing worse than when somebody has been hurt or somebody's been rejected or somebody's been done something wrong in some way that then when other things happen, that you go and you blame the victim, right, that whole blaming the victim. So Jesus, so God God has been rejected, his rulership, his leadership of this world. He created this loving, beautiful paradise. He was rejected as the leader of this world. Satan now is the leader in control of this world. And then every time something goes wrong, what do I do? I don't blame Satan. I blame God. And that's not completely um, God is sovereign over heaven. God is all-powerful, all-sovereign, in total, complete, and absolute control over heaven. Let's be crystal clear. Crystal clear. What this world looks like in between is a little bit like uh, a scene from the movie Lord of the Rings. If any of you saw that crazy whacked out movie with all these weird people running around you know and there was this huge fight going on and you got this underworld that's evil and you got this upper world that's good and pure and then in between is what we call middle earth or what he calls middle earth and there's this hellacious battle that's going on now that is what the scriptures describe to us there's this huge battle ephesians 6 paul describes it this way This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all of his angels. There's this huge fight that's going on, and we can choose to be a part of that fight. We do not have to sit back passively and be pummeled by evil. God gives us things that we can do. So much of my understanding about evil and suffering in this world, I go right back to the Lord's Prayer, the most popular prayer on the face of the earth. This prayer has helped me understand suffering and evil more than anything else. Matthew chapter 6. What does Jesus tell us to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is sovereign in heaven. And where does his will need to be done? On earth. Why does he tell us to pray for his will if his will is already being done? Why does he say for us to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done if he's already in control of it all? Would that be a little foolish? That's the way it struck me. And I finally got it. God's will is seldom done here on this earth. And we can be a part of this fight by praying for God's kingdom, God's will, God's dominion, God's reign here on earth as is in heaven. So I have two things for you to consider doing. The first thing is this, to choose the right leader, to choose the right leader to choose a righteous leader and his name is Jesus Christ. The only leader who can take us back to where things were in the beginning before they went horribly wrong. The only person who can take us there when we accept jesus christ as the leader of our lives we reverse the horrible decision that was made in that garden that set us on a course of suffering and pain when we accept jesus christ think about what jesus did think of when he walked this earth what was he doing he was eliminating suffering and pain for those people who were hurting and rejected he reached out to them with compassion for those people who needed to be protected because of something going on, he protects them. For the people who were hungry, he feeds them. For the people who needed clothing, he clothes them. For people who are blind, he eliminated their suffering by giving them sight. For people who could not walk, he raises them up so that they can walk again. For people who were dead, he raises them from the dead. And for nature that had gone horribly wrong, for storms that come into the life of people... He rebukes storms and shows his complete control over nature, and he sets it right. What was he doing there? He was eliminating suffering and pain. He was showing us this is what it can be. When we accept Jesus Christ as the leader of our lives, we put our lives on a collision course with a world where suffering and pain no longer exist. Revelation 21. He says, there will be a day. There will be a day when there will be no more tears, no more death, no more crying, no more pain. We set ourselves on that collision course. Now, here's the thing, everybody. When we accept Christ as the leader of our lives, it's the same way. World War II, when the devil was in control of Europe, right? And we had to get him out of Europe because of all the terrible things he did. We had to storm a beach called Normandy. We had to get on that beach, And so they just kept sending soldier after soldier after soldier after. And they would die and die and die. And they put soldiers on that beach until they had enough soldiers on that beach that they could win that beach and win that battle. When they won Normandy, they won the war, right? Every time somebody accepts Jesus Christ as the leader of their life, we put another soldier on the beach. We put another soldier on the beach. And we move ourselves towards a world that no longer has suffering and pain. That's the message of the Bible. That's the message of the Bible. Now That's really complicated in between. And I know that. And that doesn't answer all of it. But boy, it's a step in the right direction because this is what Jesus Christ offers us. And he says, there will come a day. He says, there are signs. There are signs of my return when I will come back. He says when you hear of wars and rumors of wars and there's famines and there's earthquakes and there's all kinds of pain and when people are talking peace, 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 but there is no peace. When Israel once again becomes a nation, which happened in 1948, those are signs that my return is soon. Those are signs that you've been putting enough soldiers on the beach and the war is almost over. This is something all of us can do today. We can proclaim Jesus Christ as the leader of our lives and put ourselves on a collision course with a world where suffering and pain no longer exists. That's the first thing we can do. Here's the second thing we can do. We can choose to fight back. We can choose to fight back. And that is going to be the message of next week. God's given us some ideas of what we can do about that. So we hope that you'll come back and be a part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you offer us hope. Hope in a world where suffering and pain no longer exists. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are all powerful. And Lord, finally, I just want to pray for those of us in this room who right now personally are just weighted down by suffering and pain. Father, would you lift our burden? In Jesus' name, amen.